One of the lenses I want to suggest would be to consider the gospel through the lens of initiation. We feel responsible to have a kind of 30-minute conversation that ends with the sitcom making sense. Uh, no. Sometimes the vision can cause you to stop. The vision doesn't drive you, the vision can actually constrain you. You just think, well, gosh, that's way bigger than I am. That's way bigger than my skills. If your spiritual life does not have a regular dose of adventure to it, it's not going to sustain the masculine soul. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So, friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. The opening stanzas of a poem that we love by Wendell Berry. So welcome to the Ansons podcast. The conversation today began as a conversation downstairs, began as a conversation over beers a week ago, and it's about money and what our current experience is with managing our money, thinking about it, thinking about its value and what it's for. And not just that, though, right? Because it's we have had the budgeting conversation, but this is like money and estate and vision and selfhood on the verge of summer when there are more desires than there is time to allow them all to happen. So just to say where this began for me, it was maybe a month ago and been reading in Deuteronomy just for funsies. Oh, yeah? Um yeah, it just happens to be where I am in the Old Testament. You right just now. go flipping through dudes. It's dude, Deuteronomy's rocks. Like, <laughs> no, go ahead. Oh my gosh! And the, the theme that began to emerge was the amount that Jesus talks about generosity, and you know, yes, I'm still using Jesus, but talking about the speaker of the Old Testament because of comes out of my Trinitarian theology. But whatever, it works. And the thing is, so like, there are all these things about the way that you're supposed to care for the sojourner, the poor, the priesthood. And then also it like sort of without reservation, even knowing that the poor will always be among you. And then um, at Morgan's suggestion, I've been doing this thing of there, you know, there's 31 chapters in the Proverbs and in most months there's 31 days. So like whatever day it is, like you can pray through that chapter of the Proverbs to develop like a wisdom culture in your life. And like one that I feel like I'm not really getting them because there's so much like it's terrible to be a fool and like all the horrible things like, you know, it's like there's like one that's like, you know, like a dog who returns to his vomit is a fool who returns to his ways. <laughs> so that's vivid. Ugh. But the amount that it talks about giving, the amount that it talks about generosity. And so what started developing in me was just this, man, I want to be, I would like to be more generous. I would like to give more money away. And my first thought was, well, what are some good sources of residual income? Like, I like side hustles. And then I also like, you know, 
super casual things where, you know, I'll rec- I've recommended to more than one friend who's in grad school who really is having a hard time making ends meet, paying for their living situation. I'm like, dude, just go donate plasma. You donate the plasma, you get paid for your time. Super easy. You can make about $200 a month. Um, and so I Quite started, literally harvesting your own body. I know you're uncomfortable with it. But think. so I was thinking, how can I earn more and able in order to be able to give more. And just felt one of those promptings of the Holy Spirit to like, hey, just grab a piece of paper, do your budget, and then take everything that you don't have to pay. Like, you know, you have to pay your mortgage. Your grocery budget has some flex, but it's pretty much inflexible. And then like your insurance is the same and your car insurance is the same. And so I pushed all that to the side and I looked at everything that was left. And it was like, you know, clothes, for Alish, like it does happen to be how much gasoline we spend because that's how much we're willing to drive around the city. And then, you know, everything under that, like what we budget towards, you know, new clothes every time that comes up, et cetera, et cetera. So we just, so I just did that and I just cut all of it in half and then added up, you know, what the difference would be and was just looking at the number that I wanted to be giving. And it started this snowball effect of, thinking about money, uh, thinking about how much is enough, that sort of carrying into the present moment. I'm struck by a couple of things. One is that we're obviously having this conversation from a very particular place in the world and and in society. Like, we have our basic needs met. We live in the first world. So this is a conversation that doesn't get to apply to everybody. And many of our conversations don't. But this one is one of those where you're like, well, you have a house. You've got food. What are you talking about? It's amazing. And yes, that's all true. And then the other thing I'm struck by is how often I end up having conversations like this with my friends these days where there's this like undercurrent of discontent. There's this whispering that if I made... X amount more, then all of these things would fall into place. Like I would be more fit and my relationship with my wife would be smoother and I would be able to do all the things I wanted to. And you're like, whoa, I don't know where those words are coming from other than probably all of the marketing that's bombarding us all of the time. And yet I still have these subconscious, that's why I use the word whisperings, like this, this conversation about that you started with, if I made more money, then I could give more. And then to go, oh, wait a second, I actually have the means of giving already. There's this, you were mentioning to me, like there's so much of our our story, our identity that's, that's, that's wrapped up in this. Yes, just two points right away that come up in regards to what you're saying. The first one is that, yeah, as we're having this conversation, I love, you know, Seth Godin has the observation where he's like, there is a hurdle you have to clear. And that is once you can buy yourself rice and beans and once you can actually actually have a place to live, then money is a story and you can tell yourself whatever story you want. But this sort of applies across spheres. Like if we're talking about work and what we talk about is work is the site to develop character, work is the opportunity to grow in your life with God. There is work that is so alienating. That's not quite possible, I think. I think there's a hurdle you have to clear. And then the conversation becomes like, what do you do? And as a podcast for millennials, like there was data in 2015 that 
one in five millennials was living below the poverty line in the United States. So there are major issues here with like actually getting to the spot where you're not so alienated in the amount of money that you're earning uh, that you can actually have a conversation about its value to you. But I am very convinced that that spot comes much sooner than we all think. And that even the poverty line is not always the best indicator because I actually have close friends and several families that I have long-term relationship with and that are friends of M and I who are living way under the poverty line but live with a measure of wealth because of the substance of their family that is something that I'm actually trying to emulate. So, And then it's really interesting too because there is that one of if I earned more, if I had more, then I would be able to ex- have a better relationship with my wife, like be more stress-free. And there's a certain extent to which that's true because you can use money to like patch like flaws in your character. Like, you know, and this happens all the time where like, the couple that doesn't have a great relationship but can afford to go on a ton of dates and do a lot of adventures can sort of buy a manufactured experience of joy, but then it always blows up because they didn't actually have the quality of relationship that created joy. I love the country song, Money Can't Buy Me Happiness, but it can buy me a boat. I love that and a lot of other country songs (laughs) that make points of similar value. (laughs) So first thing that I think of relative to that half more is that You know, I start reading about money. I start reading about frugality. I very quickly run into the Stoics. School of philosophy in Greece comes from the Greek word for porch. But what the Stoics were all about was training your mind uh, to actually rule your desire, to actually understand things that were in your control and outside of your control and to reconcile yourself to those things. They make a really interesting point on desire, which feels really close to the spiritual reality, but I think misses it. And what they observe is that people have an insatiable desire for life. It is insatiable. Like, you know, I love to go backpacking and I come back from a trip and I never feel like I'm, I've gotten one trip closer to never needing to go backpacking again, right? Like, that's not even how we think about it. Or I'm, I'm not one you know, great conversation with Emily closer to never needing to have a great conversation again because we've filled the quota. The desire for life is insatiable. But what the Stoics observe is like, what you need to do is rid yourself of that. And what I actually think the kingdom model comes in is like, actually, what you need to do is line that up with the right objects, meaning God, because I'm so aware of like, I sort of like hobble. I like use things as stepping stones of desire to keep myself teetering forward, where what I'll do with my insatiable desire is to be excited, to be desiring something. I'll put it on like the next novel I'm going to read or the next time that I'm actually like going to go buy myself a coffee or when I can finally, you know, at the end of several years, as has been the last case, buy myself a new bike. But in the meantime, I can look at them and I'm very aware of how in one arena, actually stuff becomes becomes something that I'm using to sort of not satiate, but like temporarily satisfy this like aching for life in me. The metaphor of like hobbling forward. I do think of like some guy in, I don't know, 
some ambiguous adventure movie where the floor is falling out. But as long as you kind of keep jumping to the next thing, you know that they're flimsy. You know that getting that new bike will buy you some time. But then you got to go do something with it. And then you got to you know, change something, update something, and you got to kind of keep falling forward with it, knowing that if you stay on it for too long, it will collapse. I'm so struck by the way that I have found in my life that I will expand to whatever space I give myself. My things, my budget, my waistline even. Like when I was living in a small apartment, like you fill it with the few things that you need. And then we got a house and all of a sudden we had all this empty space. And so we needed more things to put in those spaces. The same has been totally true of our budget. Like if we have $100 for date money, we will spend it and like right up to the last cent and sometimes right past it. But if we cut that in half, we'll experience the exact same thing, the exact same amount of joy probably. You know, we'll actually found that the less we have allotted there, the more special those moments become. But it's the way that when I've gone on a run and I've been planning on going for four miles, like it'll be tough. It'll be, I'll get to like mile three and then three and a half and I'll be like, oh, this is killing me. But then when I went on a 12 mile run a very long time ago, I hit mile four and it was like, it was like, whatever. I experienced the same level of suffering around a similar percentage point of the experience. And there's just this thing in me that goes, I, I wonder how much is actually mental and I wonder how much of it is need versus just expanding to the space I give myself or this expected amount of life or suffering that I'm anticipating. And the actual number, the actual thing itself doesn't make a ton of difference. Now, that being said, I, I think we're like the stoic piece. We're bashing on some of these little like worlds of the road bike that you bought or the backpacking that you've done. And like, we love those worlds. Those worlds bring a lot of joy. And we, we've commented in other podcasts of like, you have to find God there. You don't go for those things as the answer. But you and I were driving in the car the other day as the latest political vomit storm was raging. And we had this this road along this kind of hill. And there's a guy there that has a sailboat in his driveway. And I just finally admitted, like, I get the small story thing. I do get the appeal of not being able to influence the world at large and it being really painful to experience at some point and not being able to do all of the things I would love to do, all of the travel, all of the events, all of the eating out that I would love. And so deciding at some point along the way, like my world is just going to be sailing and I'm going to have my boat and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to subscribe to the sailing magazines. And like that is all I'm going to think about because the thing about much more than that only acknowledges that insatiable desire. What I'm so aware of in thinking about that in, you know, in thinking of like the, whatever the relative level you set for yourself as will feel constrained and it will feel normal, but it will be the place where you live. One thing that that illustrates that I'm, you know, as I'm reading into this, being confronted by is that joy is actually a skill contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. And this is, I mean, this is like a real mind blower, but like here is a great example because I think people conflate like, but the passive like receipt of pleasure as like joy, or it's like, oh man, that meal was great. 
you had a burger and it totally triggered your reptile brain and be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's sort of true, but the ultimate dissatisfaction, where, where I just think of like, people want to be satisfied with food, but I don't, I know very, very, very few people who have actually decided to train and develop their palate to be able to enjoy food. It's a really accessible example of a larger point where I just go, how many people do you know that have taken all of the spices in their cabinet and then learned what they are? It's recommended to chefs that you take, you know, like a half teaspoon of a spice and mix it in with like a few tablespoons of warm water and then on its own, smell it and then sip it and then teach your tongue to recognize turmeric and marjoram and fennel and the differences between aromatics and, you know. And at the end of the day, you have a person who has trained their ability to love a meal and they will have more joy in that meal. And it's obvious in food because I think our friend like Jesse Barcolo, the few times that I've eaten out with him, because of his training in that arena, his joy over a well-prepared dish just totally exceeds mine. Like the level of joy and contentment that he has built there is enormous. Right. No, for me, it's either I I like it or I don't like it. Yeah, exactly. Of like, wow, that was sort of like a broadly satisfying burrito or like a disappointing burrito. All we all we eat are burritos. That's the, that's the only thing they make here in Colorado. But take that to another sphere, because like in the conversation of money and in the conversation of like what it does, I think that there's this sort of like attempt to secure safety and satisfaction with our money. But very rarely is there like the intentional development of the ability to like love your life. And just one example, being confronted with that, like... I want to enjoy like sitting in the backyard that is newly mine, finally become a first after, you know, a little over a year into the process, become a first time homeowner. Everybody, very exciting. Hooray. Um, I have a little yard with a lot of grass that looks like it's dying. Um, It looks like that. By not a lot of grass, but some, like a strip. But like been sitting back there being like, okay, how, how do I develop the ability to love my own yard. And it does look like developing my ability to see it, like to enjoy its beauty. Artists have to train their eye. Like does include developing my ability to enjoy stillness, which you have to accustomize yourself to as much as you have to accustomize yourself to running by incrementally increasing your exposure to it. The idea of joy being a ability rather than an experience is disruptive. I remember I was having a conversation with this person around the holidays several months ago and they said that they liked, I have to be so vague because they're they're in our community, but I, I need to use that as an example anyway. They said that they liked a thing and this was a thing that we were talking about. That's all I'm going to say about it. It was, it was a food item and they enjoyed it and I asked them why? Like was there a particular tasting notes that they like about it or they like its combination with other things that they like its profile and this person got a little bit miffed and started shooting back at me like what do even know those words mean what is that what is that are you talking about why are you overanalyzing this what that doesn't matter i like it therefore it is good like it is i'm not going to want to make it too complicated here 
And I was so triggered by it and so irritated. Let it be playful in the moment. But afterwards, I like I railed about it for days because it was this posture of like, I'm not going to engage the world or even like a secondary questioning of why I respond positively or negatively. Like I just spoke of this kind of person who's just, I like this. I don't like that. I like this pinballing through life. And I'm like, well, how do you know that you should believe in Jesus? Well, he's good. He's, he's the good guy in the story. Well, like, why? How do you know? You can ask yourself a question about that. You can like, are you going, obviously I took it to the most extreme, you know, this person was talking about food and then I like went to goodness. And yet as frustrated as I was with that one person, I'm also kind of needing to acknowledge some things in me right now as you're talking about cultivating the ability to feel joy. Like there are many ways that I get on joy autopilot and just kind of try and sniff it out and find it and either enjoy a meal or not or enjoy a bike ride or not or find myself in stillness and so turn on YouTube like I'm committing the same error that that person was but in a potentially bigger way I don't know it just makes me think of how people will say if you can't enjoy having nothing you'll never enjoy having things Yeah. and the reality there is like right if you don't have the skills of joy, if you don't have a heart that has a wide capacity for joy, you won't be able to enjoy things as a matter of course. You are not able to. Related point. So there are two quotes I've run into recently, one from our boy Dave Ramsey, one from Morgan Snyder. Uh, but Dave Ramsey observes, I just love this, where he says, wealth is all the things you have that can't be bought. Yeah. Want everybody to sit with that for a moment and go like, wealth is the things you have that can't be bought. So any connection of our buying power to our experience of wealth is wrong. Also, Morgan, he has a great teaching on money in the Become Good Soil arena. And he relates like going around to all of these older men, men in their like later 50s, 60s, 70s, to ask them about their lives, ask them about cultivating a man's life. And money came up over and over and over and over and over again, just as like more than half of the parables are about money. Jesus talks about money more than he talks about anything besides the kingdom of God. Like, this is an important point. Uh, it's a point of access to a person's heart. But Morgan would ask these men, when did you have the emotional experience of being wealthy. Like, you know, you started as a young man with a lawn mowing business making $10 a month. And like, now you run a company, went in there. And for so many of them, it was never, they never had that. And so just further identifying in me, like, wow, when I look at the money I have, and I look at the obligations I have, because there's not like, I don't know, a superabundance that makes any obligation I could imagine irrelevant. I feel like there's not enough. But what, what I'm increasingly identifying is like, wow, this is all an emotional experience that is not connected at all in most circumstances to the actual number in the bank account. It's hard for me not to think about my job outside of college, working for this family that was wealthy in terms of their bank account, like just phenomenally wealthy. And all of the employees 
that works for them, and there were quite a few of us, would talk during the lunch hour about like what would you do if you were them? Because there we were. Like if it's the question that people ask, you know, at parties and in small talk of what would you do if you had a million dollars? Well, here we were presented and uh, sort of wrestling with it every single day. What would you do if you had a billion dollars? People would talk about the trips they'd go on. They'd talk about the vacations they'd take. And it was just, I don't know. It was a weird environment that kind of got us all very acclimated to, like, if I were a billionaire, then I could do anything. And yet, these people were all, I mean, they were driving BMWs to work for these people. So they clearly weren't hurting. And yet they all look at the idea of wealth, what you have, your health, your family, your time, your relationship with God. What what are you doing with your time? I, I'm coming back again to the idea of the story. Like if you have a home, if you have your basic needs met on this pyramid, you then get to, I think, play an active role in the story you're telling yourself. And if I'm honest, the story is not going to be just freely given to you the good one, like you have to contend for it. You have to fight for a story and a narrative that is, I don't know, like just directed towards the good things because their whole world is geared towards taking, taking, buying, selling, not having enough. It's like, I don't have a new pair of shoes this year. So therefore somehow I'm failing. (laughs) So just on that point, stories, it's been really cool to be practicing right now um, like a few things in, of realizing that of like, what is the story that I can tell myself if I go that like my wealth is the fact that by choosing to like keep engaging my wife's heart over and over and over and over, we actually have this richness of relationship uh, that like lots of people would kill for. And just acknowledging like, wow, to be able to hear the voice of God, like, that's incredible to know that there is spiritual warfare and to be able to engage it. That is amazing. These things are all like make us pretty uh, prodigiously wealthy. But simply one thing, I've actually been rehearsing this story in my head of just to go saying, I am incredibly wealthy. My happiness is not connected to anything I can buy. Like nothing that I can buy will I'm in a season where I'm like, I'm not going to allow anything I can buy to impact my happiness. And I'm not going to look there for joy, relief, whatever. It's all going to be in things that I'm developing the capacity to do and to feel. And so like, as part of just like a challenge of walking this out, I mean, I've been like, hey, we have a date night. What if we just took a couple months and we're like, we're only going to do free things ever. Like, it's just going to be, which we've been doing, we're like, it's going to be walks. It's going to be, and, and you know, these things aren't actually free. Like, because when I'm like, we're going to pick a great dinner to make together, we obviously have to like buy the groceries, but it's not an additional expense. It's going to be like, we're going to spend a whole afternoon like building this meal. We're going to choose that to be our date night, enjoying our things. Like lots of walks, lots of hikes, Lots of exploring new outdoor like areas in our region, or even like new neighborhoods and like 
walking through, there are certain neighborhoods in our city that have, like, way better gardens than others. And, like, going through and, like, dreaming about, like, Emily, the garden that she wants and vegetable gardens and, what, and like, using that as, like, none of this costs anything. We're enormously wealthy. Money is not going to be connected to our happiness. How do we engage that as a practice? And then the one other thing of that's been connected to that for me has been... I feel very, very confronted by, like, how enormous my impatience is. Like, among my character flaws, impatience is, like, easily top five. And, like, a funny story about that is, like, it did it did take a long time. It, like, was sort of, like, a longer-than-a-year process to, like, get into a house. But also, you know, everybody on the outside was like, you're so frustrated that it's taking time, but you're not, like— blown away that you're actually doing this right now. Like, what an incredible thing to be doing. And I'm like, no, it's just taking forever. So we finally get in, and then there's, like, this sort of, like, dilapidated shed in the backyard that I have ambitions of, like, turning into a little, like, writer's time with God space. But right now, because of these other things, I'm, like, committed to not spending any money on it and, like, letting it happen slowly. But the thing is, is, like, I'm, like, one weekend of being in this house, and I'm like, ah, the shit is never going to happen. And I just had to like stop. It was such a dramatic example. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am just pathologically impatient. And that's a huge, like I need to, I'm repenting of being impatient, but also recognizing there have been moments this year where I've sort of felt like she's just saying like, yes, everything is for you. And even the things that like you want that are, you know, like a space to write, but not immediately when I think about one of the issues that happens, like one of the things in our culture with money that's massively problematic is there is this now is the only moment that matters. My needs now, my desires now, which is why like we live in in a culture where people carry a lot of debt because you can finance anything. Like you can finance your toilet repair. You can finance, you know, your groceries, With PayPal, you can literally finance any purchase and just go, sure, I'll pay for that down the line, but right now is when I need it. Whereas the kingdom goes like, no, you can, like, you can have it. You can have that depth of relationship with God. And I even think like with God as your father who like brings you gifts of like, yeah, you can have like the road trip. Um, But the method of the kingdom is super long and slow and go like, will you trusted the patient process and the timing in which that comes rather than like me feeling scarce because everything is not available immediately. In that downtime, there's sort of an assumed like you have to, it's harder because you have to be making choices in the very long process. If it's happening right now, it's great. Like I'm jumping from one thing to the next and I don't have to really like think about that I'm not cultivating these abilities to feel joy or feel wealthy or uh, like I can just kind of do the actions that should suggest that should indicate that I have those. But if you're like, okay, I can't afford to do this thing right now. Therefore I'm going to wait and I'm going to make choices to focus on these things, which is why Dave Ramsey is so successful as he like helps people to focus in on a few things at a time. And then you're allowed to do more things when you are focused if you if you're gonna like you want to go on a trip this year but you can't afford it so you're gonna go next year well you have all of this year to think about it and to fill that time with stuff and 
if you're filling it with going to the movies and buying coffee, that trip is not going to happen next year. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep getting pushed back. And so there has to be like a denial of things now, this delayed of gratification. And yet there's all of these things that have to happen internally as well. And that's like the, that is the tougher battle. That is, that is the war zone as we, I feel like I have to be a freaking samurai, like with this daily dedication to solitude, to quiet, to a lack of screens, and then to cultivating joy. Like, I, I'm failing. I feel like I'm failing in all of these things. We're having this conversation, and I'm like, wow, I uh, suck at all this stuff. But we meant to have a part of this conversation be about, like, how to then, you know, hijack some of the system with credit cards and all that. But that's not even, that's not even helpful. It's, it's just not. There are different ways of thinking about things, and there are different ways of approaching money and finances and how to accomplish things in different time frames. But it feels like the way this conversation has gone is the way that it needs to go, which is like that, what do you, what's, what's the internal world doing for you? So Dallas Willard in The Spirit of the Disciplines writes that like fasting, the discipline of fasting, of not eating, is humiliating at first. And he goes, it takes a long time to be able to get anything out of fasting because all it does is expose like how unable you are to, you know, keep going in any part of your life if you can't have, like, your normal breakfast. I've felt that when I've gone, sort of what these are and what these steps are is, like, the introduction of various forms of, like, fasting. Like, fasting from, like, a lifestyle uh, where, like, of even, like, semi-regular eating out or whatever the thing is. Or, like, I just think of, we have listeners all across the range, like, and to go, everyone's level seems normal to them. With very few exceptions, like, they are also outsourcing joy and they are also excessive. And when it comes to, like, developing your heart here, I think that one of the things that makes it cool, though, is, so, you know, friend in town, younger, single dude, like, and as and this conversation came up recently and his debt and what do we do about money and this thing around like how Em and I trying to figure out like how little is actually possible to live on. But what it allowed was this conversation of like, you know, what are the things in your life? Like friend is a writer and like, you know, loves to make the rounds after work of like sort of the the spaces, not just coffee shops, but like the spaces where writers congregate and he can work and just to go, why is that? Like, that's, sure, that's a, it's a fun thing to, like, sit in that environment, and it can even be a creative thing, but the access it allowed was begin at, beginning to ask the questions of, like, why do you need that? And when it went of, like, well, actually, there are needs that, are, that have to do with, like, loneliness and being around people. There are things that have to do there with, like, the spiritual experience of his home and, like, needing to actually, like, more fully take it into the kingdoms that he enjoys being in it. And suddenly you just have this point of access when it when you start to look at like, what if you just cut everything that wasn't your rent and insurance and go, what comes up in you that like that needs certain things and what is that telling you about your heart? Blaine, as you say that, I'm struck by just the, yeah, that being a really good question to ask yourself. Like if you... Basic needs are covered. 
and then you don't get to spend any other money. What's what's the reaction? Is it probably panic? Is it depression? Is it this need of stimulation that's not going to happen? Is it the this feeling like nobody else is going to come through for you? Is like what is it? Like it's actually going to be super revealing just doing it as a thought exercise. Okay, so I don't get to spend any money. I think on the one hand, I would I would actually feel relief. Like I'd feel as a little bit less plugged in to the matrix. And then I would also wonder why I'm required to give so much of my life and time in the week to week for during a job, even though I love it, if I don't get like rewarded for it. I don't know what that I don't know what that indicates, but that's part of that would be part of my reaction. I would feel like entitled to some forms of pleasure for sacrifice. 